We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. So, Father, we we proclaim that to you this morning. And we acknowledge our poor and needy condition, our poor in spirit. We want to be blessed by you. And so we come before you and ask that you would speak mightily to us now. It is so good to sing again, and we needed that. And so now we, we, we declare to you that, that we need to hear from you now uh, through your word and by your spirit. Would you open our hearts and also for, for a heart in here that is not yet warm to the gospel, that's stone or that's, that's hard before you, we ask that you would melt it you would change it, turn it into a heart of flesh as a result of hearing your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be together this morning. Good morning. And if I haven't said it already, welcome. Welcome to the gathering. And my name is Mike Newman. And um, I have the privilege of of um, showing you God this morning through His Scriptures, Romans chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, um, that just means uh, that we're going to one of the 66 books. It's in the New Testament, so it's far over to the right. If you open it up in the middle, probably land, you'll land somewhere like Psalms or Proverbs or Isaiah, something. Keep taking a right. And when we say chapter 2, you're just looking for big number 2 in there. And we're going to go verse... Um, by verse through this this chapter. It's a big chapter. We won't cover everything, um, but hopefully we're going to receive um, the main message of what Paul is trying to tell us. And so if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We've got a, a good chunk of Scripture to tackle this morning. All of two and a little bit of three. And so let's get to work, okay? Real quick, just as your pastor... Um, to set some, some healthy expectations. Not every Sunday will you leave feeling warm and fuzzy feelings. And not every Sunday will you gain immediate practical tips for living. Okay? Um, this morning, though, I hope that as we learn about what God has written in His Scriptures here, that you would gain an understanding of the character of God that you would gain a scope of how He has worked throughout time so far, that you would gain an appreciation and catch a little bit of glimpse of what He's going to do, or at least set the stage for what He's going to do. And hopefully through that whole scope of God's character and all of time, that you'll understand your place in history and it'll inform the present. Okay? So it won't necessarily be, here's three tips on how to succeed in marriage or finances or how to be like a better person. 
but hopefully you'll leave here going, wow, God has really had a plan from the beginning, and it's unique and special, and I fit into this plan. I'm excited to hear about it. All right, let's get after it. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Okay, so we've read this before. We've seen it in Romans early in the letter. Um, Paul wrote to us and he said, therefore you are without excuse as it relates to the knowledge of God that He has exposed everyone on this world to His creation. Therefore we can access or have knowledge that He is God and we are not and therefore we are without excuse. Okay, This is a hard truth to swallow immediately but it's an important one, a necessary one. And so we got to let it hurt a little bit. We need to hear right off the bat that we as a people are condemned. Okay? Let that bite a little bit. Or else Romans 8, when he says, therefore now there is no condemnation. If it doesn't bite now, it won't be sweet then. So let, let it be a tension-filled moment that all of humanity is condemned. And if people, all people, all people groups are without excuse, then the fundamental difference between mankind and God is exposed. It's like, okay, people are here and God is here, and hey, people, you are not God, and if God is God, then He holds the right and authority to judge mankind. Okay? He holds the right and authority, and He must judge. He must judge. Let's follow His argument. Look at verse number 6 with me. He will render to each one according to his works. So all people are without excuse. And God, He will render to each one. Okay, so He will render, kind of an old-fashioned term. Another way to say that, that, that people will give or, or repay. So there's a payment due. God is judge. He's judging people. And people have a payment that is owed. God as judge has, has, as judge has placed His verdict. He has said mankind is guilty. And they got to pay up. And this payment in this verse is not done by people groups collectively. Just let your eyes read that verse with a critical, critical eye. It says, He will render to each one. So not people as a whole, nations as a whole, or even families as a whole. He says that each one will render, and it's interesting that, they, that they'll pay the price according to what they've done in this life. Each person. Did you catch that? Okay, I know we're starting deep, but, but hang with me. It's really important to know that what God will judge 
The judge will, will sit down and what he will place on the scales of evaluation is your works. Did you see that in verse 6? According to his works. So, are you perfect? <laughs> I know. Have you ever done anything you're not proud of? Well, then verse 9 is also for you. Okay? Verse 9 says, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Well, welcome to the gathering, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, this is so fun, right? But it, it is true. It is true. And Paul, like a good doctor, brings you into his office. He does the examination, and he can't just gloss over the fact that you have spiritual cancer. You don't want him to. You don't want him to just say, oh, you'll be fine knowing that you have cancer. He's going to say, you have cancer and I'm going to tell you the remedy. I'm going to give you the cure. And I'm going to give you the cure real quick. Like, we don't have to wait till chapter 8, which is pretty cool. We can just, like, we know the story and I'm going to, like, ease the tension right now. The cure is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, that is the beauty of our Gospel. Jesus has rendered His works for yours. Like when we sing Jesus paid it all, like we're talking about He replaced Himself in verse 6. This is what He did. Like He paid the price for your sins and you no longer have to be condemned. And so this morning, if you don't know Him and if you are still trying to pay for your imperfect works. I would just urge you to come to faith to Jesus Christ. Like if you come to faith in Jesus, your condemnation that comes from God the Father, His wrath, it will be lifted from you and it will be put on Jesus because of His work on the cross. That's what faith does. He absorbs the wrath that is meant for you because of your imperfect works. But watch this. Watch this. Here we go. This is what the text this morning is meant to do. Okay? I'm going to start over and I'm going to read verse 9. If you're in your Bibles, let your eyes go. Go on down there with me. Verse 9, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and like a car approaching, like another car about to get in a car wreck, the reader is supposed to go like this. What? And also the Greek, like, what? Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. Like, what? Partiality? Like, if you're the Lord, if this is true, like, why are you going ahead and 
parting people. Like, why are you showing partiality in this verse? Like, why Jews? Why Greeks? What's the big deal? Why are you distinguishing people from one another? What's all the Jews first stuff? Okay? That's, that is what it, this text is meant to do. The ebbs and flows of it. Right? And so, hold on. like Rewind, Paul. Let's just cover what you've already said. You said that everyone was without excuse. And the Jew would go, yeah, yes. Everyone else is without excuse. I affirm that statement. And God will judge. Yes, yes. And there will be tribulation and trials and distress for every other human out there. Kind of like a good sermon. You know, like or you're hearing good teaching or whatever, and you're sitting there going, Man, I just I wish that so and so was here. Oh, I hope they're listening, right? There's that kind of attitude that's that's that that's coming or that's springing forth from the text. And the Jew is thinking something like this. So far, Paul, I thought you were talking about everyone else. So the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew, needs to explain to the people of Israel that they are condemned too. Now, why would he need to say that? This is a good question. And I am excited to answer it for the next few years, actually. <laughs> Why would he do that? But let's start. Let's start trying to answer this question, okay? Let's start with this. We can say with confidence that he needs to say this because the Jews are God's chosen people. So let me tell you a story, okay? Long, long time ago, there was a man called Abram. He lived in a town called Ur. You are, if kids, if you're taking notes. Okay? Strange town. He was of the people of the Chaldeans. And God said, Hey, I'm choosing you, and I want to I take you to a place that I'm going to show you. And Abram, if you follow me, if you listen to my words, if you trust me, I am going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your family, I'm going to bless your descendants. Actually, come here. Come here. Let me show you. Hey, it's nighttime. Let, just look up in the sky. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. It's a lot of stars. That's a lot of people. And hey, look, look at the sand on the seashore. Can you count the grains? The grains of sand? I know. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the grains on the seashore. I'm going to bless you. These people, the people of, of Israel, they have experienced tremendous hardship throughout history. Uh, but God, their God, has been faithful. Uh, they were in exile in Egypt for 400 years. Don't let that just like gloss over. Like, hey friends, our country isn't even 400 years old. right? And this people group was in another country in slavery for 400 years. They were in exile in Babylon. They were in exile in Assyria. And even during the Roman Empire, 
um, this people group, they were dispersed all throughout the known world. Uh, it was called the Jewish diaspora, come, coming from the word dispersed. This particular people group spread all over the world. Okay, so like, why am I telling you this stuff? Like, why all the Jewish diaspora stuff, right? Well, we are studying Romans, and um, we're receiving this, this notion or this, this impression that like, hey, if I'm reading about Romans, I've seen a couple movies, Rome, and I'm, I'm thinking like immediate thoughts. Like, kids, what do you think, think about Rome, Italy? Pizza? Spaghetti? Mario and Luigi from Mario Kart, right? And then all of a sudden, like, we're reading about Jews. And so you need to know, like, you need to understand the context in which Paul is writing that, that the whole world is experiencing flux of one particular people group moving all over the world. It's important to start there so you understand the times back then, but also you need to know, and your moms and dads need to know, that this affects everything today too. Like we're talking about a people group that attend school with you, that are, that are in your workplaces. It's not just a people group within biblical history, but biblical, historical, accurate history impacts our world today, and we're seeing it play out. So trivia question, okay? Uh, what country has the highest population of Jews? All right, we did it. Israel. It wasn't a trick question. Okay, but second question. This is an important one, okay? What is the second highest population of Jews? What country? Second Second highest population? I heard it over the... That's right. The United States. The United States. Okay? Does anyone know what city in our country has the highest population of Jews? Absolutely. City of nine million people. And there's a whole bunch of Israelites, people of ethnic... Uh, who are Jews who live in New York. Okay. How many Jews live in Cincinnati? I looked it up. I didn't know it either. Okay. 32,100 Jews live in the greater Cincinnati area. All right, so these people have a significant place in world history, and it's happening right now. And they have great cultural depth. They have great traditions. And they have a great history. Let your eyes go back to the biblical text, text for a second, though. Paul pits them immediately right up against the Greeks, which is also a culture or a, a people that are known to have high culture, high class, high tradition. And Paul the Jew says, even when you are at your cultural and traditional best, you still stand under judgment. Okay, so last week we learned, we studied that all Gentiles, so let me just be clear, everyone else in the world, on the globe, who is not a Jew, 
Gentiles. All Gentiles are condemned. And Paul is saying all Jews are condemned. And so the title of the sermon today is God's Judgment for the Jews. Point one, which we've already covered, is God's judgment for the Jews. And number two, the point number two is, um, uh, try, I'm trying to be conversational in my point language. Point number two is, hold up, Paul, what about dot, 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 question mark? Okay, and let me just explain, okay? Um, that Paul, he realizes that he's opening up this can of worms with this discussion. And he's got 16 chapters to talk about it. Okay, And so he's going to begin to start anticipating questions from his readers. He knows them well. He understands how they're going to think. And so he brings up subject matters and addresses them uh, in a systematic manner. Okay, So point number two is like, hey, wait, wait, hold up, Paul, as if the Jewish reader is going, wait, what about... Okay, you follow me? Um, I'll, I'll illustrate it like this, okay? Ladies... Ladies in the room, would you like to know or would you like to get a little bit of insight into the psyche of the male mind? No. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I, no, I, okay, you have to say yes. Can I, okay, okay. So, come with me now. Okay. Um, so we are, uh, pretend like you're walking with your husband, Okay. And uh, you're, you're walking down the street or you're walking down the beach, okay? And you're just pouring your heart out to your husband, right? You're just talking and like, like moms, if, moms and sons, like where, wherever you're at, you need to know this is how the male mind works, okay? We do have a nothing box, okay? So when you ask us, what are you thinking about? A lot of times, we really are being truthful to you and we're saying, nothing we're, we really aren't thinking about anything, okay? But sometimes when we're walking with you, or, and we're like, let's say we're on the beach, and we see this character coming about 100 yards away, okay? And we get, we're holding hands with you, we're doing the waffle thing, right? Um, and you're pouring out your heart to us. What is going on in our minds is how am I going to protect my wife when this sketchy character gets close to me. And so in our minds, while you're pouring out your hearts, we are scrolling through Marvel movies, Batman, things like that, and we are coming up with the most incredible ninja-like moves that you've ever seen. Okay? And so like, as the sketchy character like, comes closer and, and, and you guys are talking, we are going, okay, if he pulls out a knife, I'm going to catch it like this, right? Or if he, if he comes and if he swings, I'm going to go Matrix style. I'm going to bend backwards and I'm going to grab his wrist, dislocate his elbow, and then go on both hands and back kick him from here. You can see I've been practicing, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, he, if he comes with me right here, I'm going to put my right here, and then he's, I'm going to, and then I'm going to protect here. If there's a dog and the dog lunges, I'm going to stick my hand right down his throat. Right? That's what we're thinking about. 
And in a similar like fashion, a li- just a little bit different, Paul is going to anticipate their theological questions, okay? With a little more gentleness in mind, okay? With a little bit more nuance, he's going to go, I think this is what they're thinking, and so I'm going to go ahead and bring up the issue, and I'm going to go there. All right, so here come the ninja moves by Paul the Apostle. Let's trace his argument. Anticipated question number one. Hold up, Paul. What about the law? We were given the law, and they, the Gentiles, weren't. Okay, so you tracking with me? You're like, I know it's a hard transition, but like, let's go ahead and jump back into it. Okay, they were given. We were given the law. They weren't. What's the deal? Okay, this is chapter two, verses twelve through fifteen. Right. Now, that's a good question. Like, and even um, as we put out the reading plan for you, which is in the back, this would be a great chance for you to study that question in depth. But like, let's just do a cursory reading through those, those verses. Look at all the times that it says law. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the by nature do what the requires, that they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the... They show that the work of the is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. You get the idea. This is a big old discussion about the law. So let me tell you a story. Okay? So when, when the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, when they came out of exile, okay, they crossed over, uh, under through the Red Sea, they went to Mount Sinai, Moses went on up the mountain. He met with God. And God spoke to him and wrote down on tablets of stone what is called the law. We say the Ten Commandments. Or the, the, the words of God. Was this law given to this people to save them? No, no, it wasn't. Is the law ever powerful enough to save? No. So this law exposed them to their inadequacies, their imperfections. It was a good thing. David loved it. Oh, how I love your law. Like he delighted in the law. Because it was, we say theologically, it was a window into God's holiness. It gave them a picture of what God was like. But they couldn't keep it. And this law stood in judgment over them. And that judgment or that condemnation that had a purpose and it was to lead them to Christ. So the response to this question, which is here for you, response, it says, this is trying to summarize these verses for you, the doers of the law are justified. No one could fulfill the law except Jesus. 
So he's the standard. Okay? And that's the reason why Jesus has the authority to be the standard. Because He fulfilled the law. Therefore, He has the authority to judge. And that's the reason why Paul in verse 16 can write what he does. I'll read it again. And on that day, when, according to my Gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. It's the first time Jesus is mentioned in this portion of Scripture. So, let's just lift our eyes from the text a little bit and and apply it to today. When you are talking with your Jewish friends this week in your classrooms, in your workplaces, ask, ask your friend if they've ever kept the law perfectly. Ask him what happens if he doesn't keep the law perfectly. Like if he dies after the Day of Atonement and sins. Ask him if anyone has ever kept the law perfectly. And we know that that we believe Jesus has. He did. He fulfilled the law. He kept it perfectly. And if, if Jesus fulfilled the law, and if He kept it perfectly, which He did, this would distinguish Him from a mere prophet or a mere teacher. But it really would give Him the supreme authority in their life. As, it is, as He is in ours. And if you're a believer, this should immediately encourage you and fuel you. And even at the end of our service today, we're going to take communion together and we're going to allow Jesus to, to do what he, he does in verse 16. We're going to allow Jesus to search the secrets of our hearts and judge them. And we're going to allow Jesus to extend mercy and we'll find forgiveness in the process. It's a beautiful thing. And also as a result, we're going we're gonna to claim or declare that He has supreme authority in our life. Monday through Saturday as well. So get excited. In a few moments, we're going to take the bread and the cup. Anticipated question number two. Anticipated question number two. So here's the conversational point. Hey, hold up. What about dot dot dot? What about our purpose? Remember, this is coming from a Jew, right? The people of Israel saying, "Hey, what about our purpose?" This is verses 17 through 24. Okay? Let's read it together. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, watch this, here's the turn, starting in verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who harbor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? Verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In, a, in just a, a short summary, 
Paul brings up their anticipated question of, hey, didn't, weren't we given a purpose? Why are we condemned? Weren't we given a purpose? And Paul essentially answers it like this. I gave you a purpose. Like, God gave you a purpose and you didn't do it or you didn't fulfill it. Uh, for a moment, I'd like to just draw your attention to the end of verse 19 where it says, a light to those who are in darkness. Now, this is from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 49. You don't have to flip there in your, in your Bibles, but uh, we have it for you on the slide. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the people of God, Israel. That my salvation may reach the end of the earth. This is a very common way to describe the role or the, the, the vision, the mission, the job that Israel had. We have some stories in our, in our Old Testament, or, or some say in our Hebrew Bible, that display the heart condition of the people of God. So for instance, we have stories like, like Jonah, that Jesus confirmed. It's not just like a, a myth, it's a real thing. What was Jonah's heart condition towards his mission that he was given by God? His heart, which was on display, is a picture of Israel's heart, which was this. It's not that we just didn't do our job and be a good light for the nations. We don't want the nations to hear about the light. We don't want them to be saved. And so we're keeping it for ourselves. Hear me out. It's not just that they didn't do their job. It's that they didn't want to be a light because their hard attitude was that the nations, Gentiles, don't deserve the light. Story of Jonah. Story of Hosea and Gomer. Kind of a funny name, huh? Greater picture of Israel's relationship to God. God says, I love you. I'm pursuing you. And you keep running off. You keep just being unfaithful to me. And Hosea was called to pursue Gomer and go back. And I married you. Stay with me. Covenant love. Loyal. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come and get catch the whole picture. And at the end of the day, it's, that was Israel's story. Hey, thanks God, but we don't really want you and we don't want this. We don't want others. We just want it like we have it. Two stories that depict this heart posture. And so Paul is saying, you are condemned, Jews. Anticipated question number three. You guys are doing great. Hold up. What about the covenant sign? Verses 25 to 29. So what about the law? Hey, what about our purpose? And hey, what about this covenant sign you gave us? Let me read verses 28 and 29 for you. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, 
Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And jump into the original mind of the reader. Like you can just hear the yearning on their part. Like, really, Paul? Like, hold up, God, like, worked with us. He chose us. He promised us. Like, our people were promised real and tangible blessings, like, like land and stuff. And now you're saying that all those promises are like just a matter of the heart? Am I hearing you right? And you can just hear like the edited, borderline unedited, like pushback from them going like, you made us cut what all these years? And now you're saying it's a matter of the heart? Like, are you kidding me? You can just see like how Paul is just gently, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like drawing them in and drawing us in to be prepared for this whole tree on the work of God and His character and His faithfulness to Jews and to Gentiles. How He works things out throughout time. 16 chapters. It's going to be such an awesome journey. I hope you're enjoying it with me. And so this would lead, this yearning, this would lead to the next logical question. And this is our last one. Anticipated question number four. Was it? Parentheses and is it? And that's choice language. All for nothing. So now we're in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, well then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? And you would think, just by the logical progression of these arguments of the law and just a purpose and now of circumcision, you would anticipate the, the answer would be like, there, there's, no, there's no advantage. But watch this. His response, much in every way. Much in every way. So what is the advantage to belonging to the chosen people? And we're going to go into it. We're going to have a deep dive in chapters 9 through 11. But he starts off this, this answer with almost like a list, okay? Watch what he does here. He says, you have a real advantage to begin with the Jews were entrusted with the very oracles of God. To begin with, like, oh, buckle up. I'm gonna, about to unload on you a whole bunch of things. But actually, he never gets past the first thing on his list in this, in this portion. Well, to begin with, hold on, this is so amazing. Let me just stop and end here. Students, don't start your papers like that or your English teacher will correct you, okay? And he says, you're entrusted with the oracles of God, which sounds kind of like a, fan a fantasy novel term, but really, it's just to heighten the sense of the reader, of his understanding of the law. So instead of saying, hey, bro, you were given the tablets, what he's saying is, you were given 
God's very voice written down. He spoke to you. How personal is that? William Cowper, um, he wrote a poem talking about the Jewish advantage. And it reads like this. They and they only amongst all mankind receive the transcript of the eternal mind. We're entrusted with His own engraven laws and constituted guardians of His cause. Theirs were the prophets, theirs the priestly call, and theirs by birth the Savior of us all. Constituted guardians. This is a verbiage of, of Galatians 3, 4, where it says that, that the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. This, this, this like constituted guardian, to be a guardian of the law, how the law was a guardian, is kind of like old-fashioned way to say, like if you have a family in the old-fashioned days and they, they hired a maid and, and the mom was busy, the dad was busy and they asked the maid to walk the child to the schoolhouse in the snow and, and then to meet the child after school and walk them back and to guard them, to keep wild animals away and to help them if they fall and scrape a knee. So, hey, would you be the guardian? And this was the role of the law. This was it. And what the law did was it walked us or it showed us Christ. Do you see your need for it yet? So friends, just to speak to you and remind you that you cannot fulfill the law apart from having the One who fulfilled it for you. And to echo the words of Paul, each one has two options for your lack of ability to meet the standards of perfection. You must either make your payment to God with your life by eternal condemnation apart from Him, and that is an option. Or you can have someone else pay it for you. And that option means you must receive Christ, the perfect law keeper, in order that you may be justified by faith. Those are the two options for mankind. So let's close out our time with just some lessons learned from all of chapter 2 and a little bit of the beginning of 3. Okay? Number one. Um, and this is just to lay some good groundwork in our Jews and Gentiles conversation. All right, so if, what do you do? Or uh, what should he do? If a Jew comes to Christ, what's going to happen? Something special? Yes! Yes! If a Jew comes to Christ, we should baptize them and they should join the church. And that's very special. Okay? So, so, that, so in, in terms of just laying the groundwork, if a Jew comes to Christ, 
They are a part of the church. And we should bring them in and treat them with no partiality. They are a son and daughter of Jesus. Okay? So, not that complicated. I don't think we need to make it that complicated. Uh, Number two, um, since God shows no partiality with judgment, we should show no partiality with anything. So if you meet a Gentile, no matter skin color, or even economic status, or you know whatever, you should befriend them. Share Christ with them. You should invite them to church. If you meet a Jew, you should befriend them. You should share Christ with them. You should invite them to church. This is like just good lessons learned from this passage. Okay? Number three, God has given the church now the responsibility of being a light to the nations. And with this, I think this this is just a beautiful one to ponder, to consider in our community groups this week, to pray to God and ask what He's doing in and through your life. But it would be something like this, like, hey Lord, where where would you have me be a light this week? Like if a flashlight turns on and lights up dark places, where do you want me to go this week that needs light? Lord, thank you. You've entrusted me with the very oracles of God. Now, how do you want to use me this week? And then number four, God can be trusted to remain faithful to his promises. So friends, if the Jew had no advantage, then either the Old Testament cannot be relied upon or else God doesn't keep his promises. And so the question would be, is God faithful even though Israel dropped the ball? And is God's faithfulness dependent upon my faithfulness? What if I drop the ball? Is God's faithfulness dependent upon man's actions? And Paul closes up this passage and it's almost like he's he's in his you know he's he's in his study and he's about to write and go how can i display this beautiful truth how can i answer this question with with biblical old testament like illustration should i choose moses should i choose abraham should i choose isaac jacob joseph like how can i i could choose a hundred different things what would like affirm what I'm saying to the Jewish people. Who do they respect and trust? Who is a significant character who believes exactly what I'm telling them? And he goes, aha, King David. Go to verse 4 with me. He quotes Psalm 51, which is a psalm that David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. This is a great psalm. It says, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So this psalm is a prayer of mercy, prayer of forgiveness, like a a plea for washing. And this verse right here is a prayer 
that all would see God as faithful though we are not. Amen?